What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, before we start the show, make home your favorite new restaurant this winter with Omaha Steaks, delivered straight to your door. Have you ever wondered what makes Omaha Steaks so good? I think about that all the time. Well, I got the answer for you. It's the aging process. Omaha Steaks are aged at least 21 days. That's that's right there where the magic happens. Try these mouth-watering steaks in the Butcher's Best Sellers Package. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the promo code VOICES into the search bar to save over 50% and secure exclusive pricing. Included in the Butcher's Best Sellers Package are four iconic fork-tender Butcher's Cut Filet Mignons, four ultra-juicy burgers, four savory pork chops, four kielbasa sausages, four rich and decadent caramel apple tartlets, and so much more. In addition to getting more than 50% off, you also get four more chicken breasts and four more of those delicious burgers for free. Hell, what more do you want? All you have to do is visit omahasteaks.com and type voices into the search bar to order the Butcher's Best Sellers Package today. Save over 50% plus get four free chicken breasts and four burgers, all from the company that's been bringing people together for over 100 years. That's omahasteaks.com. Type voices into the search bar. And now let the cartoons begin. Recorded live in the USA, covering the whole wide world. Right on! This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, February 17, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. My guest today is the host of one of my favorite YouTube channels, and chances are you're probably subscribed too. The great Rick Beato is here today. Rick is an accomplished musician, educator, and record producer, and his YouTube channel has more than 2 million subscribers, making him one of the most successful YouTubers around. Today we're going to talk about copyright claims, fair use, and the current state of popular music in America. Links in the description at bobseska.com to follow Rick's show. Meanwhile, if you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe to our bonus content at patreon.com slash show. Okay, let's talk with the great Rick Beato. Well, let's jump in headfirst and talk about YouTube and its copyright policies. Uh, you've reluctantly been forced to make several videos recently about how YouTube treats its creator channels, and it mainly circulates around the series you produce called What Makes This Song Great?, why the hell has YouTube and certain recording artists decided to make life miserable for you, for documentarians, educational channels, and so on? What's going on over there? Well, 
you know, so many people blame it on YouTube, Bob, but it's really the publishers and labels. Yeah. They're the ones I, I talked with Luke about this on the, uh, in my interview with him um, about how the labels, it never trickles down to the artists. He says, mm-hmm. we love, you know, when you use, talk about one of our songs, you know, a Toto song or something. And, you know, ultimately a lot of these artists never see a penny of it. Mm-hmm. Stuff that gets gets uh, gets on YouTube, it gets demonetized, and um, the blocking thing is is, uh, is all from the publishers or the labels. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that they uh, they decide the artists decide how much they will allow to be played. Some people have blanket copyright um, takedowns. Uh, Don Henley, uh, Guns and Roses. Um, People like that. I mean, those are, those are YouTubers know to avoid them. Yeah. Um, and then some are taken down manually. The ones that I had, like the cars, uh, was taken down manually by someone at UME. But then they hmm. put it up the next day because I go on Twitter and that's, um, uh, you know, people like Steve Lukather, he championed, you know, he said, I don't know why they're doing this. And then, Neil Schoen commented on his comment, and then Elliot Easton, who's the guitarist for the Cars, uh, um, who was very generous and shared it on his Facebook when I put out the video. Yeah, yeah. And so it's not to say it's a YouTube thing. I mean, YouTube has their, they just wash their hands of it and say, well, the YouTube creator and the labels and publishers have to work it out between themselves. Mm hmm. That's the problem. Yeah, they're kind of caught. I guess YouTube is caught between a rock and a hard place, right? They're kind of in a trash compactor being forced uh, by both sides. You've got creators' channels on one side, and then you've got the labels and artists on the other side. And they're in this position now where they got to reconcile these two things. But I guess this gets down to the law, right? It gets down to copyright law. And uh, recently you testified before, what was it, the Subcommittee on Intellectual Property, uh, in the Senate yep. about your experiences with copyright claims. Uh, did you get the sense that senators uh, were prepared to address the problem of these kind of gratuitous copyright claims? Or do you think they might land on the side of the labels and some of the uh, publishers in this debate? Well, it's interesting because, uh, first of all, I was really surprised how well uh, the two senators uh, were that ran the committee were prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, they seemed very interested um, in, in the topic. And, you know, you, you look at it, it's like, I'm not sure that there's a political, I mean, this is, they're two huge businesses, right? You have record labels or, or these major companies, Universal Music Group, Sony Music Entertainment, Warner Music Group, and then you have YouTube on the other side, right? Mm, yeah. Or whoever, whoever else are providing these things. So there's, you know, in the politics, I, I don't get into politics, but politics go either way with these things. It, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I don't think you can make a blanket statement saying that, oh, well, the, you know, uh, you know, whatever Democrats are going to side with Google. And oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Side with the record labels. I mean, there's really no, uh, they're trying to, to just figure this out. It's the copyright law at this point is so antiquated. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have to do something about it. Um, uh, so, 
I made suggestions. That's my testimony was about making suggestions because I think a lot of people testify in front of Congress and they don't. Uh, they'll they'll talk about what the problems are, but really it's the solutions that are the important things. Right, right. To uh, to discuss. So um, uh, I don't know why artists though, and it's all these typically the biggest selling artists of all time. They're they're usually from this had their heyday in the seventies mm-hmm. are the ones that are the biggest blockers. And you know, it's not, it's really you make a good point. It's not really a political thing to me. It's a matter of. Uh, common sense laws, updating what's already there, figuring out how there can be space for something like what you do, which is not, you're not gratuitously putting songs out there. You're housing those songs in, uh, especially the series What Makes the Song Great. You're housing those songs in not only education, but commentary. You're deconstructing uh, why that particular song is excellent or maybe not so excellent. It seems obvious that there needs to be some sort of protection here, some sort of additional carve-out for this kind of fair use. Shouldn't there be? Well, you know, in order to argue fair use, you know, my, my situation is a little different. I am using the actual... Uh, I'm actually using the sound recordings. Um so, and my beef isn't with the songwriters or claiming fair use. Um, to me, my beef is with the uh, with the takedowns, the takedown mm. notices. Yes, there, when I testified, there were, um, I think, five lawyers that testified after me, or four lawyers, and two of them cited my channel as being a, a clear example of fair use. Yeah. Um, but when I started my the series... I knew the songs would get the, the videos would get demonetized, and you know, as a YouTuber, you don't want to take the chance of fighting these things. Now, a lot of people will criticize me, other YouTubers, whatever that uh, that oh, Rick should fight this fight, and it's like, well, it's not really, you know, you know, I've made, I've devoted a lot of time, Bob, into making videos mm-hmm. addressing this situation, and um, you know. I, I don't want to be spending my time doing that. I'd rather be making videos on music and t- on teaching people music and using com- music commentary. Um, but I'm very vocal when something like this happens because to me, it, like you said, this is common sense, a lot of these, these things. And, and I, w- I would agree that uh, a lot of my videos fall under the fair use statute. So just walk us through, for those people who don't uh, follow your channel on YouTube, walk us through a typical process, and we'll make it specific to what makes this song great. So you do, say for example, uh, an episode of what makes this song great about Fleetwood Mac, and then you receive, (laughs) (laughs) see, I kind of hit one, that's one of the culprits, right? Uh, Actually, right now, that's the only one that's blocked out of 99. Really? You know, to me, yeah. just from a philosophical point of view, just the, the two of us talking, Rick, Fleetwood Mac has all the money. Do they really need more? Okay, well, that's that's beside the point. But let's walk us through the process. Fleetwood Mac gets pissed off. What happens once you post that video? What goes down that takes you through that process, uh, that frustrating process of a copyright claim? So I will get, in, in that case, um, and, and it's not all of Fleetwood Mac. It's specifically Lindsey Buckingham. As you remember, oh. the song Dreams was a huge 
which is a Stevie Nicks song, yeah. was huge on TikTok and made, had a big resurgence two months ago, three months ago, because she doesn't have the same policy that he does hmm. with her songs. Yeah. This is specific to the artist and their uh, publishers as to whether the songs get taken out. So I'll put, post the song, and all of a sudden I say, oh, I, I look in my email and it says the song's been blocked. It just doesn't do anything, does not upload. It uploads, but it doesn't do anything. Hmm. Your song has been blocked worldwide. What, what, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Do they, they, what do they take the audio out where the song is playing, or no, do they no, just no. block it's the whole never, video? It, yeah, it never gets uploaded. Huh. Yep. Nice. And then sometimes it'll say if you, I've had videos blocked where it says if you take out this minute 23 of it and it has a tool that you just click on a button and it will remove that. It'll just actually edit the video and cut it. Mm-hmm. And you, Or you can go in with the editor. I've had videos blocked because of one, uh, one piece of video or something that I used. If it was, um, I did a thing on 90s guitar, uh, 90s guitar and i had the band my bloody valentine in there and i used a clip from a live or from one of their videos i mean it was 10 seconds long and the video got blocked after it had been up for a couple months and i went into the editor i snipped that part i just took them right out of the video and the video immediately went back up but with fleetwood mac um the takedown happens now now typically what happens anytime I, i upload a what makes the song great? I get a content ID notice as soon as the video is rendered before it even before I can even make it public. Mm-hmm. And it says that um, that they are uh, I have a content ID claim, and they are um, but the video but the video is okay to put up essentially. So I um I mean and you can fight it at that point if yeah. you want. It'll say, uh, like, copyright owner using copy uh, content ideas claims some of the material in your video. And usually this is done by bots. I mean, this is actually always done by bots when you first yeah. upload it. So they, they, they have programs that, that, that recognize that you have a song. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're done manually. Typically they're done manually later on after the video has been out and has a lot of views. So, um, and then they'll, they'll do a content, but they, every single time I use anything, like I used to, I played Norwegian wood, the melody on a video, uh, to teach the Mixolydian mode. And, um, the Beatles claimed the revenue from my video. This was obviously a fair use instance. I made a video about it without disputing it. And they took the claim away the next day. Huh? That so seems they, like your best recourse is to make a video after it and, and kind of explain yourself, and then they kind of backpedal. Has that been your experience, or is there a much yeah, more every frustrating... Single, no, every video except Leewood Max, they've, they've uh, restored. Wow. But it seems like the process for challenging a copyright claim or challenging a demonetization of a particular video is pretty convoluted, isn't it? It's pretty exhausting it and frustrating. Yeah, so the so the whoever put in the claim has 30 days to respond. If you dispute it, you can dispute it and cite fair use or, or what, whatever you, uh, whatever you want to c- claim with it. You know, if it, mm. you know, sometimes people get, uh, this is very common. Some people will put their classic classical piano recital on for their, for, or their, for their kid and they'll play a box piece and mm-hmm. some Deutsche gramophone version of the same piece will be flagged and it'll 
credit the, you know, say that you got a content ID claim just because it's the same piece, but it's a completely different performance. Right. Right. So, um, but you, you, the artist has 30 days to respond. If they don't respond in 30 days, then you get all the, uh, they put the money in escrow and then you get all the money back from it. Um, and a lot of people do that. A lot of my YouTuber friends do that. They, they challenge every single claim. Now, if they come back and they say, nope, we uh, disagree with you. This is not fair use. You can challenge it again. If you challenge it again and they rule against you, and this is between you and the publisher or the label, um, then you get a copyright strike and three strikes and they take your channel down. So in my case, when I made that last video, I got two strikes. I get actually two strikes two days in a row without even challenging anything. <laughs> Cause they can do the, 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 uh, DMCA takedowns um, in in very rare uh, occasions. Now, I talked to someone that works in a content ID department at one of the labels that took down my video. Yeah, and they said that they've never personally given a copyright strike to any person on YouTube. Wow, one like that that was that was just out of the blue. What goes through your head, Rick, when you get those copyright strikes? Because, I mean, your YouTube channel is like the centerpiece of what you do now, isn't it? And so when yeah. you're faced with the loss, the possible loss of that channel, my God, you must be, your heart must be beating a thousand miles a minute at that point, thinking, oh, shit, everything that I've worked for, everything I've built here may get taken down over what could eventually amount to just a misunderstanding between, you know, whether it's you, YouTube, the uh, publishers, the labels or whatever. Uh, it seems like that's a, a source of immense panic every time you get one of those things, isn't it? It is. Uh, there was a YouTuber about probably eight months ago, a British YouTuber, guitar player, that, that, whose channel I'd never seen. who had 750,000 subscribers. Wow. He had done videos about four or five years ago that he got three copyright strikes on the same day <laughs> and he had one week and they were going to take his channel down. And he, you can't, once you, if you get two copyright strikes within a 90 day period, you can't live stream. If you get three, you can't even post the video. Wow. Right. So he couldn't even appeal to people on his YouTube channel. He had to go to Twitter and, and post something. So <laughs> they made him take down, I don't know how many videos he, he got in touch with a company that, gave him this copyright strike. And, um, and this is the way he has two young kids this is how he supports his family. And he couldn't get anyone. YouTube wouldn't help him. Nobody would help him. Finally, at the last minute, they saved his channel. The people that, that, uh, had done this, he got enough traction on Twitter to where they worked out a deal. He had to delete the content and, um, and they took the strikes away and his channels stayed up. But those are the things that you worry about. You know, you were, I've made over a thousand videos in four and a half years. I obviously don't want my channel taken down. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty stressful. Yeah. I mean, I've had experiences not only personally, but with people I know closely who have, cultivated gigantic Facebook pages. And this is all to say there's a, a major difference between the way YouTube handles something like this and the way some other social media platforms handle uh, their claims and their uh, punishments against users. But I mean, with Facebook, it seems like the application of their terms of service are completely random. Uh, and also mm -hmm. what makes it frustrating is 
there's no human being to reason with. You can't get on the phone and talk to someone and kind of walk through the problem and then get some sort of reasonable response back, whether they double down on the punishment or whether they say, ah, I get it. Okay, we're going to put your Facebook page back up. Have you ever been able to communicate with real live human beings in any of these situations, either at YouTube or maybe with the labels? I remember you were talking about that where it just doesn't seem like there's a reasonable avenue of recourse for you. Well, it's interesting. I started doing this on Facebook probably uh, six months before I started on YouTube. I was making videos just like I am teaching mm-hmm. and playing music. And then all of a sudden the videos started getting taken down with no explanation off Facebook. This is mm-hmm. back in 2016. Wow. And uh, which is one of the reasons why I went to YouTube actually. Uh, so, I would be, I'd play something in a live stream and then they just took it down with no explanation. There's no recourse, couldn't get in touch with anyone. Um, and then for the first two years on YouTube, I didn't have any, I had one content ID claim because I didn't use any music. So I was afraid to use it, honestly. And I, the first time I did, I got a block or I got a, um, yeah, I got a takedown. And, uh, um, but, I know some people at YouTube, I, I did a content ID, um, I did a content ID, I don't know what you want to call it, like a Zoom call with the people that do content ID, uh, you know, build their algorithms at YouTube. They wanted to interview me because I've made these videos about this yeah. and they wanted to know, get my advice on how they can improve the system. Uh, you know, it was based off me testifying in front of Congress, and, and I presented some of the ideas that I had in my testimony in greater detail. Some of the things were uh, having a place, because there's no place that you can put paste in, let's say, a code, an authorization code to get your video whitelisted, meaning where they will put it up without a block or a content ID strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so that was one of the things I, I thought that that would be a great thing. Cause I've had a video. I, I did a, what makes a song great on fish. Now I worked with Trey, uh, from fish. Yeah. Um, I don't know, 15 years ago or so I talked to their manager that I was going to do a song for what makes a song great. He said, great. No problem. You're fine. You're all set. It was a song called waste. Yeah. I put out the video. It got blocked. So I wrote to the manager and it was at God. the end of the day. And he said, Oh, I can't do anything about it till tomorrow. The label's closed. But the first, first thing in the morning, the, he texted me, said the video, the block's been lifted and then I can put it out. Wow. So even after getting supposed clearance, now had they provided me with some type of authorization code and they, and YouTube had a place to put it in, could have avoided that. How do you, so, pro- how do you approach your videos now, Rick? I mean, do you feel like, do you feel completely off balance when you post a new video and there's a song in it and you know, there's a song in it. Do you just throw caution to the wind and try it and see what happens? Uh, that's gotta yeah. be really off putting. It's gotta put you <laughs> off balance. I, like yesterday I put out a video, of the top 10, um, songs and rock songs on Spotify. Yeah. And I use this playlist called rock this. Now I knew every song would get a content ID claim and there'd be nothing done and the video would be fine because all the new bands, the labels think it's great right. and the bands think it's great. You know, artists love it because uh, it's, it's promotion for them, you know? And um, so I got the 10 content ID things. As soon as the video was uploaded, it's instant. It co- they come within seconds. 
and it's like you know ten of them right in a row mm. and and there's no blocks and i just upload the video so uh the only thing i worry about are with these heritage artists um and typically i'll go on youtube and i'll see if somebody's made a lyric video or some other kind of video because if you look up youtube has a uh, a database that you can look up and see if a song is going to get uh taken down or um, and, and that's all I'm concerned about the content ID stuff, that demonetization, the money goes to the artists. I don't care about that. I'm not going to fight that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to put 15 hours into a video and have it taken down as soon as I upload it, obviously. Yeah. So, so, uh, so that's really the, so I don't worry about it that much, to be honest with you. I, I, um, um, it's worked out every time that I, and, and Twitter has been very helpful for that. Um, I hardly used Twitter before, mm-hmm. but I started uh, putting screenshots of the blocks on there. And really, it's all the labels are on Twitter, and all the artists are on Twitter. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's the place where they can be engaged, and where you can't get a real person. Um, I mean, I I could get somebody on YouTube. I, I could. I um the uh, they have a ch- a chat window. If you have over a hundred thousand subscribers. You can get anyone. I think I think you still can. I never use it, but uh, you can get to talk to someone, you know, twenty four hours a day via chat um, on their uh, on their website, which is very cool. It's so, and they'll it's, help you if they can. Seems like YouTube is far and away ahead of the other social media platforms. I mean, some of the things you're describing here, uh, it seems like we're never ever going to see the same kind of policies and procedures at uh, Facebook. Certainly. I think Twitter is a little bit more open and communicative, but certainly the giant on the block, Facebook is just uh, it's just a black box. When you get penalized there, there's no avenue of recourse whatsoever. So in a sense, YouTube is kind of a, a bright shining light in the middle of all of this. It seems sometimes a ludicrous thing to say, but it kind of is. Um, let, let me ask you, Rick, why do you think Don Henley is so militant about policing YouTube? It seems like everyone's been hit by Don Henley at some point. I got hit by Don Henley on SoundCloud. <laughs> it's almost becoming a rite of passage, isn't it? <laughs> yes. You know why, Bob? It's because I think he doesn't care what people think of him. And he basically, t- he, no, he, the other artists that want to do this, but they don't, they're, they don't want to be that person, but Don's like, I don't care if people hate me. <laughs> I think, I don't know. That's a, that's just my, I don't know that for sure, but I think Bob is, I think Don is, is willing to take the heat and he doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. But he does it. Yeah. He's become, you know what? <laughs> he reminds me with his militants about this. He reminds me of Lars Ulrich back in the day, like 20 years ago when Lars tried yeah. to, uh, Sue Napster. And then, you know, actually that, that well, well, Lars, see, this is interesting. That's a great, that's a great comparison because Lars basically did it for other people. I mean, he, he was doing it for, for Metallica, but he was mm-hmm. doing it for, for other songwriters because they had a huge voice at the time and he was willing to be that guy. Yeah. And you know, now Metallica, they don't, they don't block videos or anything. They're totally cool. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I think it's, you know, you know, the thing about Facebook I realized a long time ago is, is um, when you have a news feed, it, I mean, basically Facebook is pay for pay for play. You have to pay money to get reach. 
There's yeah. no organic reach anymore. Now, in 2015, I posted a video of my son. Um, uh, I played some chords for him. One of my friends um, said, hey, can you record your son? My son has perfect pitch, but insanely good perfect pitch. Wow. I play a 10-note chord. They tell me what it is, or 12-note chord, whatever. He's, he's like a savant in that way. And he's um, so my, one of my friends said, can you make a video so I can show my wife? I said, sure. So I put it on my Facebook and it ended up getting 22 million views. Wow. Okay. Because it was, it was all organic, it, all organic reach. It had 250,000 shares. It had just insane. And then I, then I didn't post anything for a month. And some people thought, said, oh, this has got to be fake, all this stuff. So buzz. He wrote about it. All these, all these uh, online publications were writing about it. I was getting approached from from music professors all over the world. So then a month later, I did the next post. Like I never posted one thing on Facebook in between that and the next thing. And the next one got 15 million views. Mm -hmm. There's another video of Dylan doing this, but he's closing his eyes and everything. And, and um, but. The, the March, March of 2016, I think it is, I noticed that the algorithm had changed. And the um, uh, once they started having where you could pay to uh, to promote videos, they realized that anyone, I mean, the way that I think it works is that once they recognize that you're a payer, then you just get put in the payer thing. And, That's right. And the other people have no, no reach organically. Mm -hmm. So uh, people go in there. The people that are top of the news feed are people that are paying for it. That's right. That, that's it. Yeah. It's yeah. all pay for play on that. And kind of like the old record business. So I, uh, once I realized that, I said, okay, I'm going to go to YouTube because there is no, you can't really pay YouTube to, to promote. There is no tools like that. I mean, there is, I guess, AdSense. You can get some fake views. <laughs> if you, can make, yeah. you know, I don't know. But I don't know anybody that does that. Well, actually, so, there's a um, there's a great new documentary, Rick, on HBO called Fake Famous, and it talks about uh, uh -huh. people who buy clicks, likes, and downloads for Instagram, for, for you know, basically bot retailers where you can buy all this stuff uh -huh. and artificially inflate your reach, whether it's on uh, Instagram or YouTube or even podcasts. I, I looked into it, and yeah, you can buy downloads for your podcast, which I have to rapidly admit that I do not do. I do not do that. <laughs> and I, I wonder, too, I wonder how rampant that is on platforms like Spotify. And that kind of segues us into uh, one of the things that I've been loving about your YouTube channel is your uh, commentary on, on Spotify, the Spotify Top 100, and especially your conversation, your most recent conversation with Tim Pierce where you guys were talking mm -hmm. about, um, I guess, the, the current uh, condition of, uh, of rock and roll music in popular entertainment and kind of what went haywire. You know, it's, it was interesting. One of the things you mentioned to Tim Pierce uh, is that Nashville is the new rock and roll. Yeah, essentially, the people that were my, actually not even my age, people that were 10, my friends that were 10 years younger than me, oh, 15 years ago now, or 10, at least 10 years ago, they all moved because there were no guitars. Once new metal burned itself out, there were no real guitars that were on, you know, you know there's no rock radio that, that was uh, things that they like to listen to. So a lot of them moved to that, you know, listening to country stations Yeah, because they had guitar solos, they had, uh, you know, guitars in every song and it was very guitar centric. 
And people that wanted rock music and liked real, hearing real instruments went there. Now, of course, if you go to Nashville, I'll do a, a top 10, uh, you know, country video here coming up soon. And you'll notice that you'll hear a lot of the same pop. It's, it's, it's actually gotten better. But, uh, you know, the same kind of production values that you hear of Max Martin and uh, um, pop, it's basically they're pop songs, but with country singers. That's right. So, yeah, program drums, things like that. Um, it's just, it's in all areas of music now. Uh, but it's funny because Tim, you know, was very honest about that. And and when I interviewed Steve Lukather, we talked about the same thing mm-hmm. about um, the the dirty little secret about labels. And because I asked Steve why labels don't sign people that write their own songs, mm-hmm. right? Because they have, and they haven't. And I, I've, I've alluded to this in some videos, but around the year 2000 or so, 2001, 2002, record labels realized that um, a lot, there you have A&R guys, they're people that sign labels. They start their own publishing companies and they sign writers to them, mm-hmm. okay? And they, since they can decide who gets record deals, they signed artists that don't have good songs, but have good voices or good images. And then they, put songs from the artist whose publishing they have, because that's where the money is. Um, they make them cut those songs of other people. And the artist makes no money from their record, from the, from the songs. So they don't write any of songs. So, um, so it's kind of a, kind of a scam, right? Yeah. So they, they just want to keep all the money from that. And Steve talks about this. Cause I asked him, I said, why don't labels sign artists that, um, that can write their own music. I mean, historically, you know, unless you were, I mean, Linda Ronstadt didn't write her own songs, really. She, she covered those, but for the most part in rock music, mm-hmm. all types of genres of, uh, of rock music, the artists wrote their own songs. Right. They just did. Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, the Who, everyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then... If you go to, you know, once you get into the early 2000s, it was producer driven. And honestly, I got hired to do this stuff myself when I was a producer. I was a producer writer. Labels would hire me to write songs, usually with the singers of the bands. And um, and I would produce the record and then they would, um, you know, maybe the people in the band, you know, I try and get the people in the band to play on it. But a lot of times the They'd sign these groups where the people can even play can even play the parts of the songs, and I would have to play them. Interesting. So it's just it's totally screwed up. Yeah, you know, and this is that people don't even realize this. That's that's what they're hearing nowadays. Though you can hear people can make their own songs at home with a laptop, and you know, and they're Billie Eilish. She's writing her own songs. I mean, there's a you know a lot of pop artists will write with producers, obviously, but but. Um, you know, there's that whole thing that's really hurt hurt music. Okay, we'll get back to our conversation with Rick here in just one second. But if something is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, consider our sponsor, BetterHelp. That's H E L P. BetterHelp seeks to provide professional help with ease. It's not a crisis line, this is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist. Start communicating in under 48 hours, connecting in a safe, private online environment. Send a message to your 
your counselor and receive a timely response. Schedule weekly video or phone sessions, whatever works for you. Anything you share is confidential. If you want to try a new therapist, it's simple and free to switch. BetterHelp says they're more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Start living a happier life today. You'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash sexy liberal. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Go to betterhelp.com slash sexy liberal and receive 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com slash sexy liberal. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. You discuss how uh, perfect, not in a good way, perfect music today because it's so derived from samples where you can actually buy just a gigantic library of samples that you can drop into a, into software that is specifically designed to utilize those samples and create loops. And then you can create your own music and it sounds absolutely perfect, but that's, it's not always great because, you know, one of the charms of rock music, especially is some of the subtle flaws in there. And, you know, some of us who know music quite into, Ultimately, can pick out those flaws and see the charm and the character and the creation of that particular flaw, and it adds to the overall sound, the overall vibe of the song. Well, I, it, I say it adds to the humanity. Yeah, yeah, of the song because it's, it's human, right? And uh, and what they've done is they've hyper quantized, meaning hyper edited to a grid, all the rhythms of every instrument. Everything is auto tuned. To a grid, so the pitch is, is every every note is perfectly in tune. Whereas you know in blues you have notes that are all over the place. You know for for in, inflections flat. I mean that's what blues is, mm-hmm. right? Singing around the notes and and um, having you know inflections and bending into things. And that's that's all been removed. And you know my kids call it robot voice when they hear this heavily auto tuned <laughs> stuff. Cause it sounds, <laughs> So that sounds like robots singing. Yeah, like, yeah, it was made by made by computers. Yeah, it's, uh, so yeah, that's the hi- the hyper editing of mu- hyper edited music. Yeah, that is uh, the we've been in that for about twenty years now. Yeah, in fact, the auto tune thing uh, calls to mind this theory I have, Rick. About and I'd love to hear your take on this. I have this theory that the internet itself has created this feedback loop in culture and music where it's constantly being reflected back on itself, where we're seeing the same trend kind of recycled over and over again, or the same trends, plural. And that sustains certain trends over a long period of time that wouldn't have otherwise existed in previous eras, like, say, pre-year 2000, for example. Uh, So, like, auto-tune, the pitch correction uh, units that are used so often often now that started that was like 1990 i first heard Cher do that what 1998 or something like that and that's right and i wonder if that's the culture being reflected on itself or that's just another tool in the arsenal of songwriters that's just another thing that they use now what do you think of that well artists that are coming up are so used to hearing autotune that many of them mimic it with their voice. First of all, you hear people sing, are you, wait, are you singing with autotune on your voice? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and if they hear their voice without autotune on it, I've had artists do this. They freak out. They don't like it. They want it to be perfectly on grid with no inflections at all. Um, no pitch variation. They just, they're used to hearing that. And, 
Um, I don't know why this trend has continued. This that kind of baffles me, actually. Mm-hmm. That uh, that people that that hasn't burned itself out. That particular thing, auto tune. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's such a quirky effect. Um. You know, I mean, people have always doubled vocals and choruses. It started, you know, before the Beatles. Sure. But, you know, the Beatles music was, when you get to the chorus, it's two people singing the same part in unison. Mm-hmm. Two different voices are, you know, or the same person double, double tracked. And it makes the voice stand out. It makes it sound like it's the chorus. And that's been used forever. But this is a different thing. I mean, now it's, you know, you'll have, uh, you know, 30 voices in the chorus, all of them pitch corrected you know, singing, uh, and it just sounds weird, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, even beyond that, too, even beyond that particular device, um, it seems to me, and again, (laughs) I hear myself, I'm 49 years old, I'm coming up on 50 years old, Rick, and sometimes I hear myself talking about this. Yeah, (laughs) I feel feel like I'm that old man yelling at clouds sometimes. Like, I'm yelling at the young whippersnappers to get off my lawn when I talk about (laughs) this crap, but but it's actually true. I, I wonder if... And you being a music expert, I mean, you're intimately involved with this stuff, not only directly, but in terms of commentary and following it as part of your career. It seems to me as if once you get past the 1990s, the 2000s, the 2010s, those two decades, I don't see... A, a distinguishing sound for those eras. And that's not to say that every decade has its own homogeneous sound. That's not the case. But there's generally, if you think of the 1980s, you can kind of really project into the sound of the 1980s, what people were listening to yeah. style-wise. But I don't get the sense that in the last 20 years that has been as distinguishable. And that speaks to, at least in my perception, the sameness of music, this constant recycling and reflecting back upon itself that the internet has provided. Am I just seeing things or am I just being an old man or is this really the case? Well, Bob, I'm actually 10 years older than you. I'm almost 59. Oh, wow. um, Okay. So I, you know, I haven't focused, I focused a lot on music before the year 2000. I just Mm -hmm. started doing videos on music after the year or around the year 2000. And this coming year, or this year, 2021, I'm going to move my focus into the 2000s when I talk about rock music, and I'm going to explore, you know, 2000 up through 2021, mm-hmm. which I started doing yesterday with my, you know, what's currently, what is the state of rock music on Spotify right now this week uh, on the on the main chart that's there, Rock This, right. is the playlist it's called. And um, so... I'm going to reflect back on that and kind of look at the trends. I mean, I was really involved in producing music at the time, so I'm very familiar with it. And I don't like to make blanket statements about music. Um, I mean, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and and that music is dear to me as Mm -hmm. it is to anyone that grew up. You know, the things you listen to as a teenager and in in your 20s are the typically it's the music that people want to listen to the rest of their lives but i've always wanted to hear new things and moved up you know and and if it's good i like to listen to it and i'm always searching for new music out there so um i i'm not sure that i'm ready to to make a statement about that Mm. you know the last 20 years but there sure were a lot of great songs in the 70s and 80s and 60s and 90s 
um, that still, you know, that I will still listen to every time they come on, I listen to them. And uh, when I do What Makes This Song Great, I get the same feeling when I listen to them, even though the songs that I'm doing, I've heard a million times, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. I want to hear them again. Yeah, it's exciting um, from an indie perspective, what's going on in music right now. And I'm deeply ensconced in that scene because I play, I, in fact, I solicit indie musicians to send their songs in and I play them on my podcast. And then I do a, a countdown show at the end of the month, playing the full length songs and put them all in order and so on. And so I get so many interesting submissions of songs. I feel like, Oh my God, if this was only going out to mass audiences, man, these guys would be huge. And I would like to see, I would like to think that, uh, more indie artists are making that crossover from being independent to, you know, being part of a major label and what kind of variety that would bring, because I'm getting all kinds of stuff, really interesting, innovative things too. Uh, not just, you know, sort of genre things. And boy, I, every time I find another one of these recording artists i really sincerely hope that they get picked up and uh and signed and and, but i don't even know if that's part of the process anymore i don't even know if that process exists anymore how are people making that transition as musicians (laughs) to be is it just so random is it completely up to chance now every a and r person like i said those are people that sign artists to record deals um they go to tick they look at tiktok and that's how they find they find things that are successful that's all they're interested in is is data mining essentially they find things that are already successful there is no a and ring anymore used to be that a and r people at record labels historically would be producers you know or or just real music aficionados and they would have an ear to, to hear um, the Beatles are here, you know, the Rolling Stones and realize it was something without it having already have a, you know, 10 million downloads or something. So, yeah. um, most of the record labels sign things that are already successful on social media. Hmm. They swoop in because you can't get on these big playlists on Spotify unless you're on a major label for the most part. That's the problem. They're the gatekeepers now. Wow. So, uh, but there's so much great stuff. I mean, I'm just listening to, you know, I pull up different playlists. So I was just listening to this, uh, the black angels radio just before, uh, we talked and, um, got a lot of really cool, uh, bands on there, the black angels and Danny Warhol's black rebel motorcycle club, things like that. It's more, um, Brian Jonestown massacre, really cool kind of psychedelic rock, but current, you know, current, music um and there's just so much great stuff out there that's not on the pop charts but i don't know if the pop charts or the rock charts mean anything anymore i'm not sure yeah in fact i was going to ask you uh will rock ever return to the billboard hot 100 is that going to be a thing again or has have we kind of moved past that are we are we clinging to the past as the old men that we are rick are we too dependent on uh, the music that we grew up with and maybe not open to new trends or i just i hope to see a rock band i hope to see a four-piece rock band with a guitar a bass a singer and a drummer return to the billboard top 100 one of these days that'd be uh nice and refreshing i think well you know i the, one of the reasons why i did my video from yesterday about talking about and playing the top 10 songs rock songs on spotify right now right to show people there is a rock movement out there they have playlists for these and um it's not as big as 
as the big as the uh you know when i do the top 50 spotify thing you know mm-hmm. when i look at those charts they don't have tens of millions of followers but you know they have probably five million followers that follow that playlist and listen to those songs um is there going to be a billboard, you know, breaking guitar revolution again? I don't know. Usually, historically, rock music or let's say metal would come back about every seven years again, then go underground and come back. And, and uh, but it hasn't made its return in the same way because the music business is not the same thing anymore. Interesting. So, if people are not listening to terrestrial radio, people listen to podcasts, people listen to Spotify and Apple music and, and, uh, they kind of choose what they want to listen to. Mm. So uh, a lot of it's, um, done through, you know, you go and look whoever your current, um, one of my friends signed this artist. She's an 18 year old Canadian singer has a, had a top five hit this week. Her name's Tate McCray. He started as a, YouTuber and she's got three over 3 million YouTube subscribers. She started when she was 14 Wow! and um, through YouTube, she got a record deal and now she has a huge hit. She's got probably 25 million followers on Spotify. She's huge. She's one of the top artists, you know, she, or she's really big. She got her first record out and that came through social media through YouTube. Oh, it's unbelievable. So maybe it's, Maybe guys that are 59 years old, maybe I can put my own record out, <laughs> uh, my own rock record, and uh, Bob, and we'll, you know, and it becomes the next cool thing. Maybe it doesn't have to be young people, right? That's right. I mean, well, you they know, don't have to be looking 20-something year olds or whatever. So the uh, the YouTube channel for Rick Beato is linked in the description of BobSeska.com. You can also find him all over social media and on his website, RickBeato.com. My God, uh, Rick, you are such an inspiration. <laughs> Thank you for making the world of music a better place. I really, really appreciate it. Speaking for many people, because I've never, I've pre- I previewed that you're going to be on the show today, and I've never had the kind of response <laughs> to a guest preview as I've had uh, with you today. So I appreciate that. I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you so much.